Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I recall distinctly God said to me that, um, Randolph, I'm going to lift your head. Everyone say, lift your head. And I couldn't understand the... The, 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 the thought completely at that stage. Uh, but I had done some initial study on this theme, and I knew I had a file in my computer. I called it up and uh, began to just look at some initial thoughts. And in that time, obviously, the Lord started to compact some more principles regarding this in my spirit. And um, it's now grown to a place where I think it's going to become a key prophetic standard within my own life. Amen. And so um, I want to encourage us all. This is just not for me. Uh, I heard the Spirit say to me distinctly, I will lift your head. But whatever is for me is obviously for you. Amen. And so I really want to encourage you all that God is about to lift your head. Amen. Welcome to Eric and Princess. Can you stand? Uh, pastors in the city in Amlazi. Eh? Let's give them a warm hand. Of welcome, amen. Um, our other guests, Doreen and Gideon, can you stand? Let's give them a warm hand of welcome as well. Amen. Friends of ours from the Bluff. Uh, so, anybody else that's here for a visitor? We don't, haven't met you yet. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, so I want to get straight into the thoughts and the teachings. I need to say also, this is not typically a teaching per se. It's full of doctrine, but it's not my typical teaching style in that it's prophetic. So a lot of the thoughts I would leave with you, um, I won't unpack systematically in terms of laying the foundation in Scripture as I would normally do. I'll just drop the thought and leave it with you as a thought that the Holy Spirit has given for both you and I. It's something you need to hold on to. It's something you need to um, churn over within your spirit. Remember, this entire meeting is prophetic in nature. And this word is a prophetic impression or prophetic thought that I've received from the Lord for us. Okay? Now, I'm going to use the PowerPoint just to help um, flip through the, the scriptures quickly. And Liam will help me with the slide transitions. I've entitled it, Lift Up Your Heads, O Ye Gates, for God is the lifter of your heads. There are two injunctions in Scripture, one for you to lift up your head and other sets of verses of Scripture that tell us that God is the lifter of our heads. And I would like to see the two as a partnership. Uh, in other words, to activate God as the lifter of our heads, we need to assume a position of a lifted up head posture, right? And so you align yourself with what God is about to do. Okay? So God is wanting to be revealed to us as the one who lifts up our head. But from our vantage point, we need to position ourselves for that to happen. Okay? 
So the head that hangs down needs to be lifted up. You need, the Bible says, for example, if you draw near to God, what will He do? He will draw near to you. Certain, certain things in God are initialized by our initiative. You take the initiative and God responds accordingly. So every, every ground that you cover in closeness to God is your initiative. You draw near and it says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to, to you. Okay? And so we seek God and we seek Him early. The Bible says, for example, if you seek me, you will find me. Right? Them that search for me diligently with all their hearts, they will be found. And what does the Bible say in Hebrews? I am a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. So depending on the intensity with which you position yourself with, you will determine God's thrust toward you. So for example, the Bible says, seek and you will find. Okay? But Hebrews says, if you seek for me diligently with all your heart, he says, I am a reward of them that seek diligently. There's the ordinary seeker and there's the diligent searcher. So God says, to the one who seeks, yes, he will get something. He will find. But the one who searches diligently and ardently after God, God says, you won't only find me, but I reward you. Okay? So you, what, I'm, what I'm trying to impress upon us is, you determined the response of the Lord to you. Amen? And I really want to provoke you this evening. Don't be an ordinary seeker. Be a diligent searcher. Right? That's why the book uh, uh, Proverbs says that, the, that it's, a, it's a privilege of God to hide a matter, but it's the prerogative of kings to search the matter out. God is a genius at hide and seek. It says it's my glory to hide a thing. I hide it so that men can adopt a searching disposition to find it. Right? Tell your neighbor we are hunters. Right? It's like we treasure seekers in the spirit. And that's why the, the guy who adopts a casual approach to the reading of the scripture does not get much. God says, if that's the attitude, there's no way I'm going to disclose anything to you. But if you demonstrate to me your serious nature, your searching nature, God says you are poised to find out the deep things of God. So it says, deep cries out unto deep. You're not going to, again, your deep will activate God's deep. It says deep, this deep, cries out to, to deep. Okay? You want the deep things? Become a deep Christian. Amen? Become a diligent ser searcher. So, is God the lift of our heads? Well, we've just sung a psalm. The, verse, the song we've just sung was from Psalm 3, where uh, David said that, Thou, O Lord, you're my glory, and you're the one who lifts my head. Right? You are the one who lifts my, my head. But Psalm 24 says, you gates, you lift up your heads, and the king of glory will come in. In other words, there's no entrance of the king unless the head is first lifted. 
So everyone say entrance. So you determine entrance by your head posture. If the head hangs down, no king is coming in. If the head is up, then the Lord says, the king is going to enter in. Kingly entrance demands a lifted up head position. And I want to encourage you. How many of you need the king to come in in brand new ways? So many areas of your life. And I want to encourage you. We'll start this now and maybe finish it off on Sunday. Um, but I really want to provoke you. This is an edifying word. It's an encouraging word. Right? Leave. Stop the drooping. Some people are walking around like this. Depressed, discouraged, despair. No king is coming in. God says, if you want my response, I need a response from you. So you lift up your head so I can come in. In other words, I'm not coming in with that kind of head. I'm not coming in with that kind of casual reading of my scriptures. I'm not coming in with that kind of seeking now and then attitude. I need consistency. I need diligence. I need one whose head is lifted up. Amen? Everyone say lifted up head position. And I want to encourage you. This word has really provoked me. Uh, this week, it's, it's lifted my, my quest for God in ways that I cannot describe. Even at night, understand what Thamo now fully says when you, you can be sleeping, but your spirit makes diligent search. It says, remember in the book of, when we did the season meditation, we read, we read that scripture. I'm sleeping, but my spirit is still making diligent search and you get up in the morning it's like you've engaged god the whole night and you feel so enthused have you ever had that experience i want to encourage you um take your sleep back take those eight hours uh, don't don't relegate that to the enemy say even when i sleep i want to know the activity because really your spirit does not need rest you only, you only, your body gets tired, maybe your mind, your soul, right? But your spirit man lives and is, it's, it's, it lives in tandem with the unseen eternal realm. You can access that realm at any time. So I want to encourage you, especially the young people, great to see some young men and some youth here. I want to encourage you, learn these disciplines now. When you sleep, young men, lie in your bed. Go to bed with the scripture on your mind and even pray. I don't mind if you fall asleep while praying. What other better way to fall asleep than while talking to God? Right? Let that be your last dominant thought before you sleep. You'll be amazed. Those things continue in your, in your spirit. While you're not fully conscious, but your spirit man is fully conscious. Okay? And you wake up having meditated upon God's ways and God's words Literally the whole night. And maybe you, let, let me just say this. Thamo said something in the week. I listened to four of his messages uh, in the week on Christology. That he's releasing in Santon every Sunday morning the past few weeks. Um, and he said this. The one night he was having conversations with God while asleep. But his spirit man was talking. And there were exchanges happening between him and God. In the morning he can't recollect it. Can't recall it. But... He said there were things lodged in his spirit and that only in time his soul and his body is going to catch up with. But he knows there's been a transaction taking place. And I want to encourage you. Remember we did the series on the spiritual man. 
and how that our spirit must dominate our soul and our and our flesh. These things must become experientially practical. Right? Don't live like a soul man. Don't live subject to your emotions. Live like a spirit man, dominating everything that you're experiencing in the soul and in the and in the and in the flesh. And we've dealt with these things. So I want to encourage you. Um, this this teaching is highly prophetic, like I've said, and it's going to edify. It's going to encourage you. Let's get into it. The key um, text is Psalm 24. Let's just read through it. Just verse 7, it says, Lift up your heads, O gates. Everyone say gates. In other words, this is plural. So it's a reference to the corporate church. Okay? Um, I've started doing it. My head is being lifted up on so many levels recently. But I want this to be corporate. Amen? I want this to be corporate. And do you know when the Lord gave us this for me to focus on? The enemy has tried to dart us with so many reasons to be discouraged. Literally every week, literally almost every day this week, there was a reason that if we were not spiritual, our heads would have been down in the doldrums. But what we had to assert was, not my circumstance, but I will respond to the word of the Lord. I will rise above it. So why art thou downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in. God, we have to lift up our head. So while this is individual, I want to encourage us all. Let it be widespread. Let there not be a discouraged one among us. Let there not be one in despair among us. But if people come into this context, no matter what we're going through privately and personally, they must see a group with, full of hope, full of faith. Uh, we're going through financial difficulty, but f- strong we're going through, you may be going through relational tension, but you're still strong. Your boss might be giving you a hard time at work, but you are still focused. You're still the UEOS. Don't forget the stages now. Not because we've dealt with it. Must you leave it? It must be practically experiential. You're still UEOS. Still mature. Amen. These things must be consistently worked in our lives. Everyone say gates. Tell your neighbor you are a gate. Right? It says, so lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up. And note, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Be lifted up, in other words. In other words, be lifted up. Tell your neighbor, be lifted up. Be lifted up. <laughs> it's not saying, no, I think you must lift your head up. Look at a nice, quiet suggestion. Please, won't you lift your head up? It comes and it says, no, be lifted up. Right? And you know, sometimes... To encourage someone, you need to command them. Sometimes the quiet suggestion to come right doesn't always work. Sometimes you prod and you prod. Sometimes an apostolic decree needs... Remember when, when Elijah sat at the brook after he dealt with the 450 prophets of Baal? He was suicidal there, remember? He thought Jezebel, Jezebel is coming for him. And he was literally wanting to take his own life. He said to the Lord, kill me. I'm the only one. Right? You know what? how God responded to them? What are you doing here? Hmm? First fed him. He slept. He fed him. When he was strong, God says to him, I need to provoke my prophet to a lifted up head position. What are you doing here? By this brook. Right? And God gave him two assignments to do. Right? He had something to eat. 
Bible says he went in the strength of that meat that he ate for 40 days. He went on a 40-day fast there afterwards and went to execute an apostolic function that God had commissioned him to anoint a certain king. In other words, listen carefully. There was an assignment waiting. Critical, critically important assignment waiting for him to execute. But here's he in the doldrums. So the Lord says to him, what are you doing here? Ask your neighbor, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm talking spiritually now. Eh? So, it's a command. Everyone say, be lifted up. Call the person next to you by their name and say, Lillian, be lifted up. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Um, How long, how long will the character of your life be despair? How long will your representation before men be sulken, be sour-faced, be non-smiling? When will we consistently represent righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When are we ever going to come to the place where we can, people can look at us 365 days of the year and say, the kingdom has come. Because no matter what they're going through, check those heads. No matter what is going through, check the disposition. And this has got to be entrenched firmly in our heads and our minds. I want to encourage you all, the young people, Decide today, you are still young, you, your whole life ahead of you. Say to yourself, I refuse to go through life, no matter what we are experiencing as a family, at school, on the sports field, whichever. I make a decision, I will never, ever, even literally and physically, hang my head down. I'm, please, I'm serious, make a decision today. It's not going to even happen to me physically. I'll never, ever walk around like this. This neck will always be up. Tell you that, this resolve it. I'm never ever, you know what this testifies? A lack of faith in Father. This testifies, if people look at you like this, they ask, who's, who's God is that person? Whose, their disposition doesn't depict the God that they serve. So I want to encourage you. Heads lifted high. We need to write a song by that title. Okay, heads lifted high. I want to encourage you. Have a lifted up head. Gideon, have a lifted up head, my brother. No more despair, no more discouragement, no more dull drums. You're focused, you're resolute, you are, you op your post. I don't know if it's the right term. Is it, Quinton? Op your post, focused. Right? Resolute, strong, determined. Amen. It says, O ancient doors, and I'll talk more about that on Sunday, that the King of glory may may come in. Right? That the King of glory may come in. Psalm 3 verse 3, But thou, O Lord, or you, O Lord, are shield about me. You're my glory, and you are the one who was. Who does what? Who? Lifts my head. Right? So in the one scripture, the injunction is for you to do it. And in this scripture, the psalmist David says, you do it. But like I said, God will respond in this capacity when he sees your determination. When he says, there goes my son and my daughter. Check what they're going through. 
But check the disposition. They're defying everything that their natural circumstances suggests that they do. Eh? They're walking in contradiction to the prevailing environment. Amen. In this section, uh, I want to discuss what gates represent. Perhaps on Sunday we'll, rep- we'll discuss what heads represent. Okay? We'll see how it goes with time. Now, gates, what do gates represent? Several things. Firstly, it, they represent the family of God comprised of sons who are fathered by an apostolic spiritual father. That's a mouthful. But do you recall in Genesis 28 where Jacob had the, the dream? And in his dream, he saw a ladder on the earth and the ladder reached to the heavens. At the top of the ladder, the Lord was standing. And in the dream, he saw angels ascend and descend. Notice they were not, they were not descending and ascending. They were, it says, ascending and descending. So what was the point of origin, heaven or earth? Earth. If they ascend and descend means they started on the earth, accessed the heavens, and then came down. So these are not celestial winged angels. These are earthlings, which we call spiritual fathers. And there's a long teaching. I'm just giving you a, a, a praised explanation here. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And John writes to each of the churches. And he says, God said to him, write to each angel of each church. So the letter is addressed to the angel at the church at Ephesus, right? To the angel at the church at Laodicea, right? To the angel at the church at Philadelphia, to the angel at the church at Smyrna, etc. Who is the word of the Lord addressed to in each context? The The angel. The word angel in the Greek is agalos or angelos. And it simply means, what does angel mean in the Greek? Simply means this one who carries a divine message. Right? When you think of angels in that context, don't think of wings with halo and bright lights. You think of an ordinary human being who is called as an angel over a congregation. Right? When God wants to speak to the congregation, God doesn't speak to everybody, God speaks to him. Who is each letter addressed to? Not to the people. The letter is addressed to the angel of that church. Can you all hear God? Can you all hear Him? Yes, my sheep know my voice. But you all hear God on a daily basis for your lives. But when it comes to the culture of the family and the household, the grouping as a church, for strategic words... God will speak to the angel, like he's spoken to me about this word, to give direction as to specific disposition, mindset, or emphasis. Not so, right? But do you know at the end of every single letter to every single church, how does it end? He who has an ear, let him hear what the? So who's speaking, the angel or the spirit? So really when God gives the message to the angel of the church and he speaks it is really what the spirit that is speaking not just to that church but to he must hear the word 
for that church from his angel, but he must hear what God is saying to the churches. Plural. You're getting it? Right? That's why in an apostolic house like this, you hear what the Lord speaks to this angel, but we're always keeping our hands on what is God saying to the global church. So we're hearing on two levels. We're hearing privately, personally, but we're also hearing globally and globally and and corporately. Now, it says to the angel at the church at Smyrna, Laodicea, Philadelphia. Those were all cities. So it wasn't to a local pastor in Smyrna in Morot. It was to the angel over the whole city. And probably in that city there were multiple churches. Right? So when I say angel, yes, it is a reference to local pastorage or pastors. But it's really a reference to an apostolic figure over a city. Hey? You getting it? It's an apostolic figure over a city to whom every other shepherd over a house in that city has got to be connected. Hence the term apostolic spiritual father. Okay, that's... Now, we need a whole series just to explain that. I'm giving you like a quick, quick version of it. You understand? And fortunately for us, we are connected in that, in that way. In that way. Amen? And so, he sees these angels. They have the capacity to go into the vaults of heaven. Come down with messages. He gets it from his dream. And he says, oh, the presence of God was here. And I didn't even know it. The Bible says, and he became very afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he's engaging as Jacob, which means supplanter. He's engaging divine things with a deficient carnal nature. The Bible says, a great fear came, came, came over him. And you know what the Bible says? The pillow on which he slept, he took the pillow and he made it a pillar. And he put oil and he anointed it. He called the name of the place, Beth. Thal, which means what? House of God. House by it. Household of faith. House of God. And then he says this in verse 17. He was afraid and he says, How awesome is this place? This is none other than what? Than the house of God. The what? The gate. I want to get to this gate thing now. All of that was to get to the gate. <laughs> he said, This is the house of God, which is the Gate of heaven. If heaven heaven has gates, it's the house of God. That is the gateway to everything in the heavens. Tell your neighbor, how awesome is this place? I want to ignite in you a new desire for the value of the house. We come here every Sunday and maybe sometimes once in the week. But I want to encourage you. See your congregating together as not just a community of believers. Yes, I'm longing to see Carol. Oh, I can't wait to see this one. That's true. We love each other. But our coming together, listen carefully. Because what do gates do? Gates provide access to another realm. God in His wisdom said, there's a portal. There's a, a... Gateway into everything unseen, heavenly, and eternal. And that portal is my church. 
In other words, you are going to get nothing from the heavens unless you come through the gate. That gate is the house of God. Made up of a spiritual father with spiritual sons. So when I say, lift up your heads, O you gates, I'm referring to, in the first instance, gates, everyone say, the family of God. So we are this family of God, which based on Genesis 28, describes us as the house of God, where there's angelic activity, ascending and descending key apostolic figures, we have access to the resource of heaven that they provide to us. That is the house which he described. You know, Jacob saw something by revelation. He saw what the church is going to be, become. What did Jesus say to Nathaniel? He said, from now on, you are going to see, this is John chapter 1, I read it again last night before I slept. I slept with John chapter 1 and John chapter 2 on my mind. I'm living in John. Amazing book. Amazing gospel. See Jesus' relationship with his father. Jesus says to him, from now on, Nathaniel. I mean, you, he said to him, you've believed. You believe that I am the son of God. Simply because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. He said, from now on, you are going to see angels Ascend and descend who? The Son of Man. Was he the Son of God? But every reference to him as Son of Man depicts his sonship in an earthly role to Mary and Joseph, his humanity. Right? We are all sons of God, divine sonship, but we are also sons of men, spiritual sonship. Not so? What did Jesus say Nathaniel would see on him, the Son of Man? He would, what Jesus was essentially saying is this, Nathaniel, you are going to now see if anybody comes into sonship. Everyone say sonship. If anybody comes into sonship in reference to subjection, upotasso, and obedience to a spiritual father, on that person is the capacity for the heavens to open. Right? And he can start engaging the unseen. That's why at his baptism, what actually happened? Heaven's opened. And the father said, My son. When does heaven open? Whenever heaven sees a son. Yeah. Sonship unlocks yeah. heaven. So tell your neighbor, You are the gates of the heavens. I'm so excited about this. You know why? I'm feeling in my spirit. The Lord saying, Randolph, you are now ready for the next level of a vault of revelation that I'm about to open to you. Hmm? Has God blessed us up to now with revelation from the heavens? Both from the fact that we are connected to valid, authentic apostolic figures like Apostle Tamo, Dr. Segi and others. Yes. But God is saying now, listen carefully, if you can grow in your divine sonship, in your spiritual sonship, Heaven's vaults always open up to the representation of the sun. So when God says to Randolph, lift up your head, O you gates. Now, see yourself as a gate. If I were you, get a picture of somewhere, make it your, your status symbol for the next week or so. Have something in front of you that says, this is reminding me who I am. Hmm? I was looking at several gates today. Pictures of gates. 
Why, why do I do that? Right? Why do I have um, um, the picture of the ship with the cargo ever before me? There's a prophecy. I'm going to keep representations before me that remind me who I am. So please tell your neighbor again, you are the gates of the heaven. We corporately are there. And brethren, I really want to encourage you. Um, Renee's been focusing in her own Bible studies and things on the Holy Spirit. And she shares often with me things that God is revealing to her about the role of the Holy Spirit and His power in sonship. I want to encourage you, get ready for a fresh download of things not yet before seen or heard. Right? Don't camp at what you know because God is saying, I need more. I need you now to make diligent search of the things I've hidden. Amen? Are you ready? Eh? The young people, are you ready to understand the scriptures in a way that you've never ever before understood? Amen? On Gama, are you ready? I want to encourage you. So when I say to lift up your heads, oh, you gates, I'm saying lift up the spirit of family. The family of God. Lift up your representation as a household of faith. Lift up your representation as a, as a son. Because the gates of heaven will open to that dimension called son on the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Exciting, isn't it? Psalm 87 verse 2 says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. We know from Hebrews chapter 12, what does Zion refer to? What does, what, what does Zion mean or what does it refer to? It refers to the church, right? Hebrews 12 says, you have not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. And it describes it in various ways, like to the church of the firstborn. Zion is the church of the firstborn. So Zion is always a representation to the church. And the Bible says God loves the gates called church. He loves the gates of Zion. Please, I know in your mind, you say, I'm driving on a Sunday morning, wherever you live, and I'm going to make my way down Chequavara or up Chequavara. When I see 223, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go park my car. I'm going to come into the church Change that mentality. Say to yourself, this is how you must come. Say, okay, family, we're leaving home. We're actually going to a portal. You see these sci-fi movies and some of these computer games? It's like the moment you go, if there's a window, you guys know more about this than I do, these youngsters. A window or some, some haze. And you, the moment, the moment you, you access, you've seen this in the games, boom, a whole new world. Wow, like a new room. Remember the, what was that movie we saw the other day where they flipped through worlds? Thor 2. Where the, all the worlds align. Maybe in Thor 2. Something's happening here and the guy hits the guy. Boom. And he, he goes and he falls. But he falls in another world. Because he hits him through a portal. <laughs> Portals provide access to a brand new world. I want to encourage you. When you gather on a Sunday morning here. Say we are going to the gates of heaven. Don't even use the word church anymore. Because he said, this is the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. So the eternal is going to, we're going to access something. We're going to touch something. Presence, resource. But 
How does the king come in? He needs heads lifted up. Amen. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Amen. Secondly, like I've just said, gates represent a portal to the eternal or the unseen. They represent access to the heavenly, the eternal, the timeless zone, or the timeless dimension. Thirdly, let's go to the next slide. Gates represent a defensive mechanism, barring intrusion of alien or, or threatening elements. Now, everyone say gatekeepers. Before you put the reference up, gatekeepers in Old Testament times literally kept the gates. That's what they call gatekeepers. What was their role? They controlled entry into a city and exit out of a city. But their role at night, particularly, was to keep the city safe. Typical Old Testament cities were walled. So you had this massive high wall built around the around the city. Usually, cities had one gate, sometimes two, but generally only one massive gate. And the walls were, were quite strong, like the walls of Jericho, remember? was so thick that chariots could even race on top of the walls. So walls were built to be impenetrable for safety and security reasons. So the only point of vulnerability was the gates. I'll say that again. The only point that made the city vulnerable was the city gates. If enemies would attack, where would they attack? They attacked the gates. Why? Because it represented, if they get to the gates, you got the city. In fact, cities were won or lost if the gates were taken down. So very often in my research, I would read in the scriptures, and they took the city gates. What is essentially saying, we took the city? You take the gates, you got the city. So the role of the gatekeeper was to warn of enemy attacks and to ensure that the city was was fortified. Do you remember when, when um, Nehemiah heard of, the, of, of what happened to Jerusalem? Remember? He inquired while he was living in Babylon of the state of the city of Jerusalem. And this is what the man who visited from Jerusalem to Babylon where, we, where he was told him. They said to me, the remnant, the remainder of the Jews... They are there in the province who survived the captivity. They are in great distress and reproach. Why are they in great distress and why are they in reproach? Reproach means ashamed, embarrassed. Right? It depicts the state of most of the church in captivity and living in shame. Why? Why are those two conditions? Two reasons. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with? With, with fire. So if you can preserve the gates and the wall, you can remove the captivity and the embarrassment. Right? Obviously, this alludes to you being vigilant about what alien elements, notice the heading, I put the word alien, what alien threatening elements you allow into your life. 
Why? Because you have not kept your gates. The lifting up of the heads or your gates. The head speaks of vigilance, being watchful. So for me, this, this speaks of being very, very vigilant as to what you allow into your life. Right? They say very often the eyes are the gateway to the soul. Right? So David said, for example, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes because what I see will impact me. Not so. Remember we, we dealt with this lot. Why was the righteous soul of Lot vexed? The Bible says because he saw the lawless deeds of the men of Sodom. They committed sodomy, all kinds of sexual perversion. Maybe Lot did not partake of it, but the Bible says simple exposure to it affected his soul. So be careful what you allow through these gates. Be careful what you allow through these gates. Some of us have been listening to the wrong things, the wrong counsel, the wrong conversations, the wrong kind of chatter, and yet we expect faith. How does faith come? By hearing. And I believe faith can go by hearing too. If you listen to the wrong things, it will negate faith. But if you listen to the word or word-based chatter and conversation, it will build faith. And sometimes the state of embarrassment, shame, lack of honor, captivity is depictive of many saints simply because they have not watched and kept their gates. Okay? So tell you, just remind your neighbor you are a gatekeeper. So be careful what you hear. Be careful of what you watch and expose your eyes to. Be careful because these are access points to your soul realm. In one way or the other, what you hear and what you see will affect you. It will affect you deeply. Amen? So you are the gatekeeper. There's a lovely set of verses in Isaiah 28 verse 6. Just look at it. The Lord promises to be a strength to those who are able to turn the battle or the onslaught at the gate. It says the following in the NASB, The Lord is a strength to those who repel the onslaught. Where? Where is the onslaught repelled? At the gate. The English Standard Version says, The Lord is a strength to those who turn back the battle. Where? Because if the battle is turned back at the gate, the battle is thwarted. The enemy's plans are squashed. If the enemy gets through the gate, they have a greater advantage of overthrowing the city. Right? But if you can, it says, everyone say repel. So if you can push back the battle at the gate, the Lord says, I will be a strength to you if you can win it right there. Right? So you don't entertain pornography, for example, unduly. Why? You're going to be fighting battles that will ravage. And the Bible says, they vex your soul. If you're tempted with it, in the first instance, deal with it there and then. What, what are you doing? 
you're repelling the onslaught when it presents itself to the gate. Or you're hearing wrong conversation, wrong talk. What do you do? Do you sit and say, yeah, let's, let, let, let's skin a ribbit. What do you do? No. You say, there's something threatening my gate. I stop it immediately. If you don't, if you don't stop it, you're going to enter. Tain it. Entertaining it means assimilating it into your spirit man. And once it's in, it's more difficult to deal with it. But if you can repel it at your gate, God says, I will be a strength to you. I will be a strength to you. So tell your neighbor, lift up your head, all you gates. So the gatekeeper dynamic must be entrenched. For your personal life, now let's talk corporately here. Corporately. Right? Okay, we have people welcoming people at the door. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about every single person in the house, you being a gatekeeper of this house. So what is your job? Any alien virus that threatens the culture of the house, I deal with it. If it, comes to, if it comes to my knowledge, not to deal with it means to enter, tain it, and to give it power. Right? So if something comes to my knowledge that threatens the welfare of this gate of heaven, as a gatekeeper, what is my obligation? As an ordinary son in the house, what should Darrell do? If she gets wind, hears something, that hey, there's something brewing here that is threatening our mandate and our representation as a house. Her job is to repel the onslaught at the gate. Right? To leave it is to do what? Is to say, I don't mind that threatening our welfare. I, I can entertain that because it will impede progress. Now, is that, is that the right attitude? No. Right? If, if I'm part of Thamo's household, and if something comes to my knowledge in relationship with any one of his other sons, and if it's so serious that what I feel is going to threaten him, his reputation, his representation, and the purpose of God attendant with our family, what is my obligation? Is to bring it to his attention? Or even most times, deal with it even without his knowledge. Why? I protect the culture of my house. That's what Jesus did when he drove the money changers out. Remember? What did he say? You've made my father's house, what? A den of thieves, but it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. So when activity in the house threatened the mandate of the father's house, what does the son do? Drives that element out of the house. Now, please don't fashion whips. And don't be harsh in how you deal with this. All I'm saying is, please hear my heart. Tell your neighbor, lift up the head. Lift up the head. You see the head that hangs down. says, oh, I see something there. Threatening. I'll leave it. Uh, no, lift up the head. says, hey, we're about purpose here. That thing's going to threaten our welfare. It's going to slow our progress down. We're going to miss out on so much if it, if it matures. In its infancy, snuff it out. So tell your neighbor, lift up your heads. Amen. Be lifted up. Let me say, God will be a strength to you. I love the scripture. Put it back on again. Just love it. It's been, this the past two weeks has been one of my favorites. The Lord is a strength 
to those who turn back the battle at the gate. It's, in other words, this thing doesn't even feature in the city. This gatekeeper here is so sharp. He sees the threat. This thing got no chance of entering the culture, the welfare, the lifestyle of the corporate community of the house. He perceives it. He says, Hosala. Now go. <laughs> right? Vamboos. Uh, I like the word repel. You want to say push back. You know, you, you get this. If I were to dramatize this in a movie, I would have like a Hercules strong, muscular guy at the gate. Yes, a horde of uh, armies trying to invade his gate that he's keeping to kill everyone in the city. And this guy just does this. Wow. I repel the onslaught at the gate. God says the Lord will strengthen that man. Amen. Who would like to be the Lord, Lord to be your strength in that context? Amen. I've determined I'm going to be a, not just a gate. I'm going to be a gatekeeper. Amen. Turn back the attack at the gate. Amen. Hallelujah. Fourthly, gates are where your works or fruits justify you. This is, remember, this is a prophetic, prophetic message, not so? All these thoughts are very prophetic. In fact, you can fault me for wrong homiletics, hermeneutics, wrong principles used for interpreting scripture. I'm not interested in that right now. All I'm concerned is the Lord dropping a prophetic thought based upon a word. Amen? And based upon the interpretation of gates, according to Proverbs 31, 31. Remember the woman, the virtuous woman of Proverbs? Right? It says this about her. Let her product, let her give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her way. Her works must praise her in the, in the gates. Right? So gates is where your works speak on your behalf. She's not there, but her works are there in the gates. And the works, while she might not be there, the works say, check what this lady has done. So what she's done, speak on her behalf, establish her reputation, increase her honor, esteem, and respect. Which you remember, only elders met at the gate. Only people that decided city life met at the gate. Not everybody. So key influential people are at the gate. Everyone say virtuous. This woman of great virtue, her works speak for her at the highest level possible in the gates of the city. This is not some in some corner cafe in the city. This is not some pub in the city. This is at the highest place of influence, of governance in the city. Yes, everyone says this is a prophecy. The Lord has not forgotten much of what many of you have done. I'm here to encourage you. God is not unfaithful, it says. He's not unjust in Hebrews 6 to forget your labor and the love which you have shown for His name in having ministered to the saints and still do minister. God will not forget your level and expressions of faithfulness in seasons past where you've supported and you've been, uh, you've come alongside His work and his purposes. And you've been diligent. Tell your neighbor God has not forgotten. Right? 
The Lord remembered Noah. Remember that verse we read in Genesis? And the Lord remembered Noah. Remember? Remember when Cornelius gave alms? Right? God said to him, your giving has done what? Has come up before me how? As a what? As a memorial. You know when you construct memorials in the natural, they are there to remind you of a strategic or monumental event in history. Right? God says, Cornelius, you're two things. You're praying. Not you're praying, you're... Yeah, he said, your prayers and your almsgiving. They've come up before me and literally God is saying, in the spirit there's something I can't escape. Because it's ever before me what you have done on the earth stands up before me as a memorial in heaven. Right? And I'm here to encourage you. I just feel the need to encourage you. There are things that some of you have done that are standing in putting God in remembrance day and night. It's impossible for the Lord to forget. Your works are actually praising you at the highest levels. <laughs> at the highest levels. And I want to encourage you that your, your season of reward has come. This is a season of great reward. Some of you look very happy about that. It's a season of great reward because your works are about to praise you at the highest levels. In other words, in venues sometimes that you will not even be able to go, your works will go before you. The Bible says some men sins go before them, some men sins follow them. <laughs> but here it says now good works, our works can go before us. Okay? Remember Dorcas who died, I think it was, and she sold stuff? Remember? Why did Peter raise her from the dead? Why? For good works. Here's a dead lady. And you know what the people say to Peter? Well, how do they convince Peter to raise her from the dead? They took all the cloths and the garments she sewed and how she's to minister to the people that are in need. And they say to Peter, see what works this woman did. When Peter saw the works, he must have said, hey, this person needs to be alive. Raise up, please. And, and she's supernatural power. What, what was the activating thing? The work she had done. I'm not activating law and, and works. Right? Everything's by grace and by faith. But God has saved us unto good works, it says. Right? We are ordained for good works that we should walk in them. So I want to encourage you, be not weary in well-doing. Now is not the time to stop. I'm going to say it again. Be not weary. Galatians 6 I'm quoting. In well doing. What does it say? For in due time you will reap if. Everyone say if. You will reap if you faint not. Too much fainting going on. And you are right at the threshold of reaping. And now you are fainting. Right? I'm going to quote the verse again. Be not weary. Tell your neighbor, don't be weary now. All right? We don't need laziness and lethargy now. Now is the time to pick up the momentum. And God is saying, do not be weary in well doing. For in due time. And what due, the word due there is in the Greek, idios. Not idiot. Idios. Right? And in the Greek, it literally means one's own season. One's own time. There's a time that is yours. Like the, the Psalm 1 man, it says, His leaves does not wither. Right? What does it say? 
How blessed is the man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, sit in the, the, the seat of, the, of mockers, stand in the way of sinners. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. There's a season that is his. There's a season that is yours. Due time is my own time. Tell your neighbor, my time has come. Come on, this is a prophetic meeting. Not a Bible study now, you prophesy. You're asserting things. You're saying, if this is, I've called this meeting, not as a Bible study. I've called it because I have a prophetic word for you. It's coming in the form of a teaching, but the whole teaching is prophetic. And I'm declaring upon you, due time. Now time. Your time has come. But the requirement is, don't be wary in the good works. You will reap if you do not, if you do not faint. And this woman's works speak on her behalf at the highest levels of government and of influence in the gates of the city. Contextually, I wrote here, God is about to bring honor and esteem to his faithful and virtuous sons in significant places of influence. Be not surprised if you get a call. This is a prophecy. Don't be surprised if, if someone calls you and says, uh, um, Elaine, you don't know me, but somebody told me what you did. Do you know why Boaz showed great kindness to Ruth? Remember what he said to her. First thing, first words, first conversation with Ruth was this. Oh, it has been reported to me of all that you have done for your mother-in-law. And then the process of redemption starts. Why? A report reached the ears of the kinsman redeemer. Do we have a Lord Boaz? And I'm saying, I present this strongly in the spirit. Reports have gone up to the heavens that you are not aware of. Do not be surprised in the coming weeks and months if you get calls, Eric, and says, uh, saying to you, what you've done that time came to my ears. Because of the kindness you've shown there, I have now positioned this for you. Right? Do not be surprised. I know Peter says, thinking not strange concerning the fiery trial. I'm changing that. All I'm saying to you, brethren, is think it not strange when this type of call comes to you and saying, we've heard of how you've served. We've heard of how you labored. We've heard of the sacrifices you've made. And now we have a kindness to show to you. Hmm? Boaz is activated. Where do your works praise you? In the... See, if I say, we're dealing with lift up your heads, O you, O you gates. If you're saying I'm the depiction of gates, there are certain things that happen at the gates. And I'm saying to you, don't stop your good works. Because they're going to speak for you when you have no voice. They will speak for you. I recall Elaine's painstaking prayers for us throughout our youth and marriage life. And now she's with us in a church that we're providing oversight to. I'll say this to you, Elaine. God will not forget that. God is not a man. He's no man's debtor. 
is a faithful reward. Amen? Be diligent about how you pray for people. Memorials come up before the Lord. And God will honor you. God will greatly reward you. This will give them, listen carefully, greater platform of influence and increase their acceptance, opening new realms of impact. You see, you can do your works in your small corner here, but the works are going to speak where? At the gates. You were just faithful in your small corner here. The virtuous wife, in this context, was just faithful to her husband in her context. But, and you know the, all the work she did there, business endeavors. She sits up late, it says, etc., etc. Proverbs 31, it makes an interesting study. Right? Various things this woman gets up to. But a, a works praiser at a different context that gives her greater impact and greater influence. Far bigger and wider from the venue and the environment in which the works were performed. So the works were performed in a specific locality. But the opening of the influence is in a far greater environment. Catch this with your spirit. I need you to listen with your spirit, not with your mind. I'm saying to all of you, you're going to find a greater level of influence. A greater level of impact for the destiny that God has called you to. Because you've been faithful to execute in smallness the thing God has burdened you with or just out of because of your uh, devotion, loyalty and faithfulness. You are faithful with small things but the extent of your promotion will be far bigger than the venue in which you've executed your tasks. Hmm? It's like you funnel, you know, you're going bigger. Bigger. Far bigger. Amen. So I want to encourage you with that. Let's go to the next one. Gates were the venue for business, not so? Weren't they? Business transactions were concluded at the gates. So whenever you think and speak of gates in the city, business transactions of a key nature. A business took place everywhere. But vital transactions, key transactions, were ratified at the gates of the city. And there's a reference you can look at, Second Kings 7 um, and verse 1. Where was, where was, now, where was Ruth redeemed? Right? At the gates. Boaz didn't go to some cafe to meet the elders. The Bible says he went at the gates of the city where the elders sat down. And he, and he, he, he basically uh, paid the redemption price for Ruth at the gates. Okay, for him it was business. <laughs> Buying his future wife. <laughs> right? I'm saying to you, everyone say business. This, this congregation has a, a, a prophecy relative to business. Amen? And I, I want to encourage all of you. Lift up your heads, oh you businessmen. And be lifted up your everlasting doors. You gates. You're the venue at which major contracts will be ratified and concluded. Many of you are called to business. As I'm saying, the Lord is impressing upon me to say to you, 
Maybe you've, you've let that thing go or you've not given it too much attention. The Lord's saying to you, you've let your head hang down over that business thing that I've called you to. Now pick up the head in reference to that business activity. For now I will crown it with great success. Great success, declares the Lord. So the business idea, the business initiative you've always um, harbored in your heart as a dream. The dream is about to be fulfilled. The dream will live again. It's time to resurrect the dream again. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, the venue. Lift up your heads, O you business ideas. Lift up your heads, O you commercial contracts. For the king is about to come in. And later on Sunday, you will talk about the king. No, the king is described the Lord, strong, the Lord, mighty in, in battle. There's a, there's a warfaring, you must say warfare. There's a warfaring dynamic of God that's going to come into your life in this time. But I sense so strongly, pick up that business idea, pick up that business dream, and start to put into plans its execution. For the Lord will crown it with great success. Tell your neighbor, lift up those heads. Tell someone, lift up those business ideas. Come on, church, lift up, lift up. This is not simply a teaching, prophetic activation. Lift it up, lift it up. Take it to the next level. Lifting up always speaks of elevation, not so? So go higher. Maybe you're doing something, but the Lord said, take it a notch up. Right? Go higher. And I really believe, this, apart from business, this will also apply to people in the workplace. If you're working for a boss, I really believe elevation and promotion is your portion. In the name of the Lord. Amen. You know, I, 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 for the while I was teaching, my last stint at Fairville, my classroom was the third level, second level up, but I had a view of the car park. Generally, I was at school very early, 10 past 7, I'm there in my class, putting things up. And then if I'm, if I'm prepared for the day, I'm ready to go. And I'll just come out and just look at how, how my colleagues coming to work. Mm. But I had a good view of the whole car park. And I see them walk up the stairs. You know, most times, walking bags, back here. <laughs> no zest, no zeal. No enthusiasm, no job satisfaction. You know, I never came to work that way. I loved my job. If it wasn't for this call, I think I would still love teaching with all of its problems. Right? I look forward to, to every day. I'm saying go to your workplace on Monday. Rita, when those, those children come to you, lift it up head position. Huh? I'm in charge. My, my, my nursery school is. <laughs> okay. When you go to your, your job, you go there and say, God, put me in this workplace. I'm here to represent the kingdom. I'm in full-time ministry as a dentist, as a teacher, um, as an insurance claims assessor. I, I'm in full-time representing my God in this domain. I come with a lifted up head position. Even God sees how you, how you serve your earthly bosses as though you're serving God. Don't shirk. Don't cut corners. Fulfill your responsibility so that when you get your remuneration at the end of the month, you've known you've done more than what you were called to do. 
Go above the call of duty. And the Bible says, serve your earthly masters as though you are serving the Lord Him. The Lord Himself. When God sees that, I want to guarantee and prophesy over you. God will bless you in ways that only He can remunerate and reward. Amen? I want to encourage you with this. Let's go to point number seven. We'll do a few more, then we'll break. Not break, we'll have some fellowship afterwards before we leave. Gates also represent strategic places of influence. I said to you, major decisions took place where? At the, at the, at the gate. Very often, in fact, in the scripture you will read this term, sitting or seated at the gate, or sitting in the gate. Sometimes in some versions of the Bible, it's rendered as sitting in the seat. So the, the word seat replaces gate. Now the image of sitting in a seat in scripture always alludes to somebody passing judgment. It was used for, it's a judicial term. That's why in, in the court of law, remember when, when the judge walks in, everyone stands there? Eh? Until what? He or she? So the term legally is used, the judge sits. So the court proceedings can start. So the image of sitting in a seat means you are ready to determine legality or illegality of a matter. Like now presently the Oscar Pistorius case is going to be decided. Right? right? And so when, when that, that female magistrate, I think, when she comes, she will sit in judgment and pass sentence. Nobody can question. She decides a matter. You have your view? Was he guilty? Your friend thinks, no, he is guilty. You, you got your view? Others got their view. One person comes and says, I decide. Finishing class. No matter who thinks what, you determine the rightness or the wrongness of actions. I just have the sense prophetically that God is going to raise many of you up in a position of great influence where God will put in your power the capacity to determine the, the legality or the illegality of human behavior. And you're going to determine policy and culture of a specific sphere. Everybody can have their view, but God will give power to your mouth honor and esteem that will be accepted by everybody because it cannot be contested. You'll be like Judah. Whenever Judah speaks, his brothers obey in the scripture. Even when Judah speaks, his father obeys. You know? The power of persuasive speech, but not a human eloquence. This is not human skill with words. This is a divine authority that God's going to put in your mouth and some of you better start believing it. For the youth here, you know, this is going to manifest in your world. Right? Jaden? Many of you here? How many young people? Just wave your, your hands to me. Right? Many of you here. How are you going to start to see this? You, suddenly, your friends are going to have a new respect for your view on a matter. You'll just express an opinion... And you're going to be amazed how everyone is adopting my opinion. I just said how I feel about this matter. And it seems like everyone's saying, okay, we'll go your way. Watch for it. Tell your neighbor, watch for it. You're going to see, you'll, you'll express, Jordan, you, aren't you a prefect? You are, 
Head boy, aren't you? Who's, who's, who's Garrett's head boy? Where is he? Head boy sleepy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, all the young, all the young men stand. Leave him. No worries. He's tired. All the young men stand quickly. The youth here that are here stand. Boys and girls doesn't matter. Okay. This is for you. I want to encourage you. Don't. This is a nice teaching, eh? But you can also apply it to your own lives. You're going to have a head that's lifted up. So I want you to practice wherever you are. Never, ever hang your head down. No matter what you're experiencing, shoulders back, walking, not, not with arrogance. You're not proud or anything. You're just full assurance of who I am in, in God, right? Confident as to who you are. But you're still humble. You're not throwing your weight around, etc., but it's just that you have a raw, innate confidence as to who you are. Clayton, this will happen in the sports field. You'll find that you'll, be, you'll, you'll have a position of elevation very quickly, leadership in some respect. And no matter what people feel about a particular issue, you will just, not even wanting to influence them, you're just sharing your view on a matter. And you're going to find, wow, everyone is adopting and they're agreeing with me. That's going to be a sign. Everyone say a sign. God's going to give you a sign that this thing, this dynamic in you is going to grow and grow and grow. Amen? Do you receive that? Amen. Bless you. And this is for all of us. The power to influence a whole city. You know what Paul did? Paul, with one stroke of his pen from a prison cell, changed the culture of a whole city without even going there. Even his writing changed culture. Don't underestimate that email. Don't underestimate that book that some of you need to write. It's going to change atmospheres. Right? There's a prophecy. Some of you need to write that book. You need to write that manual. Amen? All the writers, pick your hands up. Now is not the time to be modest. Hi? You should be up. Pick your hand up high like this. If you feel the burden of the Lord that He's called you to write, even the youngsters, if you have a desire, or anyone, if you feel the Lord has burdened you, or if you have a desire to write and to change atmospheres, change context, change cities. Come on, pick your hand up. Right? My tongue is the pen of already writer. The, the psalmist says, not so. Right? What did God say to the Joshua? Write to the seven churches. The things that you see, write. Right? Where was he? Exiled on some small island, Patmos. But he, he basically not only changed that, those cities in his time, those messages are even prophetic for our day. The man is dead, but like Abel, he still speaks through his books. Tell your neighbor, at least leave something behind before you go. Please, please, leave. Leave something behind. Leave a book, leave a manual, something that the next generation can, can learn from you. Amen. So even those of you that are cont contemplating writing or have a desire, I want to encourage you, start the process. Treat it urgently. Start the matter. Start the matter. Amen? And, and finish the work. Finish the work. Hallelujah. Finish it off. Amen.
One's prominence in the community is about to increase your capacity to make decisions. I just like this idea of influence. I can't get away from it. Whatever you're going to do, you will be, you speak, people will listen to you. You will write, you will influence contexts far removed from, from, from where you are. You know what the Lord said to me recently? Your preparation must be 10 steps ahead of what you're actually releasing to your church. Right? So don't confine yourself to the rate of release locally to what I need you to do globally. Hmm? Why did David leave the sheep? God spoke to me three weeks ago. Why did David leave Jesse's sheep? Why? Remember Eli when he went to the battle where Goliath was taunting them? Eli said to him, Hey, you troublemaker, you left daddy's sheep. He was trying to make David feel guilty of abandoning something local to deal with something corporate. Goliath. Hmm? And the Lord said to me, don't feel guilty. I tell you, neighbor, relax. He's not leaving us. <laughs> I always tend this sheep. This is my priority. You are my priority. Tell your neighbor, you are his priority. You really are. I mean that. This will always be my priority. Your, your state and your welfare. All that I heard the Lord saying to me is, there are some national things and global things I will draw, take you to deal with. You know why? If David does not kill Goliath, it's not Jesse's sheep after all. If Goliath takes over and the Philistines take over. So sometimes God takes you away to win corporate battles to ensure local welfare. So I want to encourage you. You've got to see my leaving sometimes, not as abandonment, but as necessary to deal with sometimes a corporate um, offense so that we can thrive locally. Amen? I mean, those, those sheep after David killed Goliath, their, their quality of grass that they ate went up a notch. Not so. David came into great influence. I'm sure that everything in David's household elevated. Right? Everything went up a notch. Simply because. So I want to encourage you. Say influence. Influence. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you, you everlasting, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory will come in. Tell your neighbor one for the road. Okay. I have about, there's 12 gate points, but we'll continue this. Let's just do one more, and then we'll have some tea, and then leave. Gates, the accurate position and function of spouses in the marriage. Okay, this is for the married people. All those who are single, close your eyes. Close your ears. Now, this is for you to learn from this, so that when you are married, you can put these things in, in, in place. Here's a verse in Proverbs 31, verse 23. The same virtuous wife, remember? It says, a husband is known in where? Her husband is actually one of the elders. He's actually known in the, in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. Or sitting in judgment, seat. Taking his seat among the elders of the land. Now, before you read what is there, let me explain it like this. I try to really ex exercise my mind as to 
Was it this wife's virtue that elevated the husband at the gate? Or was it his position as an elder in the gate that activated her virtuous state? What was the cause and effect either way? Because it says her works speak at the gate. Now who's at the gate? Her husband is there. Probably he must have voiced it. Hmm? So it's, it's difficult to say. It's very difficult to say. I just think there's joint responsibility. Right? The virtuous, faithful duty of the wife elevated her husband's reputation at the highest levels of leadership. Right? Um, conversely also, the husband's sense of duty and leadership, everyone say leadership, leadership. sense of duty and, and leadership activates his wife's local commitment to faithfulness and to a virtuous lifestyle. The thing is joint responsibility. Everyone say joint. It's not either or, it's both. Okay? So your either spouse can bring the other one either into, my point is this, either spouse can bring the other one into great disrepute or into great honor. It's jointly responsor, joint responsibility. Now tell your neighbor, especially if you're married and you're sitting next to her or him, you lift up your head. <laughs> okay. In a nice way, in a nice way, in a nice way. Say, honey, lift up that head, please. <laughs> eh? In other words, what, what you're saying, let's leave you use Evian Moira. Just do it one more time. So Moira is saying to Evie, get your act together. Take your place of leadership, your place of honor, and the place of influence that God has called you to, because that's going to activate me to a place of greater virtuous function. Conversely, Evie um, is saying to Moira, you, girl, and whatever you call her, lift up your head, right? Activate your, your works, your virtuous, faithful sense of duty as a, as a son of God to all that God has called you to, because that's going to have a spin-off effect upon me. It will elevate me at the gate. It's not either one, it's both. My point is, either one can bring the other either into disrepute or into great honor, Right? Uh, who are, who is thankful? Who is married? And you are so thankful for your spouse. Hmm? Some of you are not sure. <laughs> right? We're grateful for our spouses that the Lord has 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 given. Right? So tonight we must vow that our actions will never dilute the strength of anointing, honor, and the sense of favor that God wants to bring upon our household. Right? We are both going to toe the line to bring both of us to a place of greater significance in the purposes of the Lord. I wrote here, there's coming a greater responsibility on both husbands and wives to ensure that proper divine protocol is observed in the home so that each one's righteous behavior will advantage the other. Before, you know what typically, happen, typically happens in most marriages? The one is on fire, the one is flat. Yes? 
Most times, one is, one is faithful, the other is not. One is reading the Bible, the other is not. One is praying, the other is not. One is on fire, the other is not. One is a son, the other is battling with sonship. I've seen this. I've seen now that that dynamic will break up marriages. I've seen it firsthand. All I'm saying to us, that, day, that walking two roads must come to an end. We now must walk as one. So you gates. Right? Natasha, you must preach to your husband tonight about this matter. Because he's not here. Right? Spouses remind each other. You gates. Right? Your wife's works are praised in the gates. But the wife's husband has a place of honor at the gates. The one feeds into the other. The one builds up into the, into the other. A place of honor and respect. Right? Renee won't carry me anymore. I'm not going to ride on her good reputation. Right? I take my responsibility. I'm not, I'm not saying I do. I'm just using an example. Right? Right? Neither will she be slack and to say, Oh, my husband has a great reputation in the city. Will the pastors? I'll just be slack and ride on his good name. No more. Each one must now say, we are both accountable. In other words, you must, before you sleep tonight, right? Before you um, express your love one to another. Say, tell them, I'm going to bring you into a new level. (laughs) Not physically, I'm not talking about the act of love. (laughs) That too is fine. All I'm saying is, say to your spouse, I'm going to bring you into a new level of honor, of respect, of a new place of favor with our Father God. Right? I'm, I'm committing myself to this. So that jointly, there will be like a... You know what First Peter, write the verse down, First Peter 3, I think 7 says, or 17, it says, wives... Um, Husbands, be, live considerately with your wives as the weaker vessel. Right? Because he says, both of you are joint partakers of the grace of life. Lest your prayers be hindered. So when is a husband's prayers hindered? When he does not live in honor, it says, live in consideration with your wife and honor her as the weaker vessels. Vessel, because both of you are what? Say joint partakers. You're joint partakers of grace. So grace comes to two. I can access grace on my own. Renee can access grace on her own. But that verse says, there's a place for us to access grace as joint partakers of grace. And that joint Participation in accessing grace only comes, everyone say protocol, put the word up there. Proper divine protocol in the marriage where God's principles subsist. The husband and the wife have now positioned themselves not just for each one to partake of grace individually, but there's a component of grace that will only come upon a marriage when the divine principles of God of submission, love, and respect observed in the marriage. And I just sense for this congregation, now this is not a marriage seminar, but, but for the marriages, it's time to access grace as, a, as one.
You are two but one. Together. No more individually. And we'll grow, we'll grow in, that, in that dynamic. Amen? Now, what point was that? Oh, we said we're doing it. I've got to share this one. I can't end on marriage because most of you aren't married yet. You've got to end on a non-marriage point. All right? Everyone who's unmarried said yes. Okay, you sound very excited. <laughs> That's a quick point. Point number nine. Right? Gates represent one who sits in the gates allegorically or symbolically in Scripture also references the last and final act of redemption. Right? The last and final act of redemption. And I wrote here, sitting at the gate was Boaz's last redemptive step in a sequence of acts of obedience on Ruth's part. God is about to enact the final phase of redemption based upon a series of obedient acts. You cannot read Ruth chapter 4 without reading Ruth chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Many people want to dive into chapter 4 when he's sitting at the gates and he's paying the price to marry Ruth and to buy back the land. Right? But you see, was he a redeemer? The word redeem, redeemer, or redemption, any, any expression of that idea of redeem, occurs 20 times in the book of Ruth. In four chapters, that idea, in any one of those terms, collectively, amount to 20 times in four chapters. Redemption is a key theme of the book of Ruth. Right? How she can go from uh, a pauper to a billionaire she can go from unmarried to married. She can go from not bearing kids to bearing a significant child that's going to become the father of Jesse and ultimately David, from whom the line of the Messiah will, will come. She, she's redeemed from begging in a field to actually owning the field. In Moab, she was unproductive, couldn't bear. After 10 years married to Marlon, she comes from a lack of productivity to being highly fertile. Right? Everyone say redemption. When you, when you read the book of Ruth, isn't marvelous how a person's life can change overnight? How God can turn everything upside down and for the good. Hey, who'd like that? I'm saying to you prophetically, church, I sense for many of you, you've been obedient in a series of obedient acts. Now, for many of you, please catch this if I were you in your spirit. God is saying to you, there's a final redemptive act I'm about to start. Boaz is at the gate and your life is about to change forever. The, the, the character of your life as you know it will no longer be. Things are about to change forever. Hallelujah. If we're in Pentecost now, you'd be jumping on the chairs. <laughs> right? This is good news. Right? A big glad tidings of, of good news. Who needs a change? I desperately need a change. And you know, I didn't have this point in, I had this point in this afternoon. I spent 
a long time meditating on all these points, the entire day, and yesterday as well. I literally canceled all appointments. I was supposed to be at a meeting yesterday and this morning. I canceled them. So I'm locking myself in that office, and I'm waiting upon the, the Lord. And the Lord literally activated this principle in my spirit, saying, Randolph, you're about to enter a phase. It's not that redemption is final, not that the last act, but it's the final act in a sequence of something that God wants to wrap up, resolve, ratify, and finalize. There are certain things you were trusting God for. God is saying, they are at your door. About to, I'm about to redeem your life forever. Right? No longer will you be called Ruth the Moabitess. That label occurs five times in four chapters. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Your identity is about to change for Ever. You're now going to be called Ruth, the great, 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 great grandmother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Even your identity, the things you stand for, uh, is about to change. Remember what she said to, Ru- to Naomi, your God will be my God. And she said, your people will be my people. Think about this girl, a foreigner, Moabites, coming to a land where only Jews are. She's a foreigner, alien. But Naomi's friends became her friends. God's about to cause many of you to enter into a brand new sphere of relationships that are going to bless you hugely. Can I encourage you? The Lord says to you, don't prevent or don't limit me from bringing you friends to you. And don't allow your present sphere of associations to be the ceiling of a people that you can relate to. Because God said, I want you to break into another realm. Amen? I want you to break into another realm of friendships and associations. This happened to me now at the Tanzanian school. Literally. There are about four, five, five, five or six, I think, for me, that are going to be now key relationships. That I did not have a month ago. But simply through faithfulness, diligence in the word... You see, if I wasn't prepared, God couldn't have said, now you go and teach. Let me just say, what you do privately, in, in when no one sees, God will reward you publicly. And it's not just about helping to minister. I go there, and what, what does God bring into my life? New friends. Which in time will open up new realms of opportunity, possibility for kingdom expansion. I really want to encourage you. It's time for a new sphere of influence for all of us. So tell your neighbor once again, lift up your heads, oh you gates. <laughs> tell someone Boaz is already seated. <laughs> I said, remember what, what, what uh, who was he? Vishal prophesied over this house. He says there are papers being signed or policy being formulated. Those things happen at the gates, at the highest levels of decision making. I'm thinking of the prophecy as I speak, and I want to encourage us all. Live like the redemption process is already finalized in the context of Ruth. Live as though you've arrived at that final leg of the present phase of your journey. Amen? No more heads hanging down, but I lift it up. Head in the name of the Lord. Come on, lift up your hands to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, for 
the fact that you are the lifter of our heads. But we respond, we prepare our own hearts. Right now, we lift up our heads to you. We lift up our hands, we lift up our hearts. Everything about us is lifted up to you, Father. Your word says concerning David that he was a man lifted up to God Most High. Not just his head, not just his hands. His entire life was lifted up to you. May we be that also. May every time we lift our hands in prayer and in worship be depictive of just how much our own lives are lifted up to you, Father. So I pray great blessing upon us. Help us to position ourselves consistently obedient to all of your requirements. And may we come into a new place of breakthrough and of blessing. In the name of Jesus. Amen and Amen.